0: Hello there and welcome to this human life podcast. My name is Melissa Sanova and I am progressively reading through the book that I wrote, This Human which is all about how to be the person who has chosen human-centred design as a profession, but really it's relevant to anybody who is interested in the human condition and how to be more present within themselves when they are working with other people and solving complex challenges. So we are, I'm very happy to say, up to chapter six. And chapter six um, is all about emotion. We often, as I talk about a lot on this podcast, we tend to focus more on the things that are tangible, the things that are right in front of us and there's really good reasons for that. We know when we're doing a good job, we know that the thing that we're putting out into the universe is, you know, we can see if it's having an impact, if it's being used in the desired way And also focusing on the tangible things tends to have a shorter time horizon. But a lot of the work that we do in human-centred design is actually, especially if you're working in the strategic space and you're designing organisations and you're thinking through the institutional qualities of organisations, which often are the the things in between, we spend a lot of time um, working with intangible things, abstract things and emotions Although their manifestation can be very visible, very observable, and very tangible, um, I guess I would say they are a more mysterious thing to to work with. So, and so we often don't. Um, We will think about the functional aspects um, of the work that we do. For example, when we're doing journey maps, we will. Um, be looking at it from a human perspective but it can take a very processy feel and what i mean by that is we just talk about the steps that someone does and the order in which they do them and where they go and what they read and and what's missing and you know what all of that sort of stuff and then we may even do some research and have a look at pain and um, delight points and, and record them and give they will give us some insights but sometimes we forget to actually designing the emotive element into those functional experiences and um, there's some really good reasons for that and this um you know really good reasons why we tend to emit it what's in our um, blind spot and this episode talks a little bit about the the neuroscience behind emotion which you know if you know me by now i love geeking out on that stuff Okay, so let's just dive in. Also, if you want to discover some free content and some courses that are relevant to the content in this book, head over to thishuman.com. And um, if you want to explore one-on-one coaching, reach out over at melissa.nova.com. All right, let's dive in. Page 155. Functional design ensures we meet the task needs of those who are designing for or with. This is the basic criteria for design. But your job as a human-centred designer is not simply to meet the minimum functional requirements of human existence. It is to create experiences that cater for the whole human experience. And this is emotional design. Compassion and design. So this is page 56, 156. The assumptions we make about other people's realities have been discussed often in this book. One example is our perception of how to help the millions of displaced people around the world. We assume theirs is a desperate situation, so we may believe a purely functional solution is enough. It is not enough. We also need to consider their humanity, their dignity, standards and values. Designing ethically is not just a matter of the appropriation and application of ethics, but rather, and essentially, the designers becoming ethically constituted. Thereafter, being ethical and being a designer become indistinguishable. Tony Fry There is always room for compassionate design and the incorporation of that understanding into our creations. This doesn't mean that it takes longer or is more expensive. It just means we need to be more considerate of the whole human experience in our designs. Designing for Emotions The importance of designing for emotions is made very clear in this fact. Most people move away from pain and towards pleasure. Even human centered designers sometimes forget to think about how our designs are going to make people feel when they are using them. We intend to focus on the functionality of what we are designing. We make sure those functions are present and designed in a way that addresses the needs and motivations uncovered in the research. Getting this right is often enough of a task, let alone thinking about how people will feel. There are three fundamental features of a complete design for humans. Now think of a pretty little um, Venn diagram with three circles. Um, At the top we have desirable, evokes desired emotion through the experience of its use or interaction. Over the right hand side we've got usable, ease of use and interaction and on the left hand side we have useful, performs the task it was intended for. Um, these features have been summarized by Elizabeth B. S- N- N. Sanders as useful, usable and desirable. The useful and usable features of the design often get most of the attention. Does it complete the task? Can the person you design for actually use it? Both these questions can be answered relatively objectively. The third feature relates to pleasure and aesthetics. It is here that we head into more subjective territory. You know, on the previous page, I say, sort of in a little side note, the three fundamental features of design, and I'm referring to desirable, useful, usable. um, And then I've said, we cannot forget emotions as they drive desirability. And if you remember, and I think I'd sort of unpack that later on, but if you remember the you know, the Venn diagram that, that gets created when describing design thinking, where you have desirable, feasible, and viable. So just drawing a link there between this one and, and the design thinking one. There is much more to the experience of life than successfully meeting basic needs. Humans are emotional beings. We embrace concepts like beauty, awe, and wonder, which contribute to the connection we have with each other and our environment. As practitioners who have the perspective, tools, and intention to design a new reality for humanity, we need to pay attention to the emotional context and intention of our designs. You must maintain a focus on human emotional experience as well as the functional fulfillment of needs. Designing for emotions allows those who experience your design to feel a connection with your work. You will also form a deeper connection with the people you are working with, which gives your work longevity and increases the chances of impact. Emotions aren't explicit. Emotions aren't explicit. It can be difficult to uncover the emotions associated with someone's experience of a product or service. Even when you've used an empathy map, sometimes people still answer the feeling questions functionally. For example, you might get a response like I felt like it was taking too long or I, fe- I felt like there were too many choices. These statements do not describe emotions. There are good reasons why we feel it difficult to name our feelings. It is partly because of our brain and partly because of society. Emotions are processed by the limbic system within which sit the amygdala and hypothalamus. The amygdala is a small organ that assesses the emotional value of an event, mainly to do with aggression and fear. The hypothalamus regulates how to respond to that emotional event and is connected to the nervous and endocrine systems. Emotional stimulus is first felt in the body. Your heart begins to race and your stomach feels tight. This is your amygdala and hypothalamus doing their job. It is only when the amygdala sends signals to the language regions of your cortex that you can start assigning language to what you are experiencing. Sometimes it is easier to describe the symptom of the emotion, I have a funny feeling in my stomach, rather than the emotion itself. We are not brought up to be emotionally fluent. Much of our emotional intelligence is learned in the playground. We are not explicitly taught how emotions are created in the body and how to map those feelings and sensations to words. When someone asks how we are feeling, the most common responses are good or bad. And just as a pause there, I'm hardly ever bad as well. Even when you are feeling not so hot, we still say we're good. Um, <laughs> these are not descriptions of feelings. As adults, we don't even respond with bad. Oh my God, I did it again. I keep doing this. As adults, we don't even respond with bad because we don't want to make the other person feel awkward. Instead, we use nondescript phrases like not so good. Because emotions are not easy for us to describe, they are difficult to access as input into your design. Understanding the emotional context for an individual may require you to use different methods to get insight. Just asking them how they would like to feel when they are using the service you are designing, for example, may get you a very superficial understanding. To connect with a person's emotional context, you need to engage with them more personally. Asking them to describe how they are feeling about a particular experience will only tell them what they can express, will only tell you what they can express in words and only what they want you to hear. But when you observe them using a service, you will see what they actually do, such as workarounds. You can then, and for those of you who don't know what workarounds are, um, this is particularly Relevant. when I was doing my human factors type research early on in my career. Um, when you observe someone, especially when they're doing a manual task, when you observe someone doing their job and say so they've been doing it for ages and ages and ages, if the process can be optimised, people typically do, and they create workarounds to get the same result but in an easier way. And also they'll be performing physical tasks that they um are unaware that they're doing. So they won't even realize that they've added an extra step, for example, where it doesn't need to be present. And so this is basically your body following well and in, ingrained, you know, habits and pathways in your brain where you don't have to consciously think and decide on every single step. Your body knows how to do the task. You know, how we talk about, you know, riding a bike. It's similar to that. Um, but then when you do the... Um, You know, you might have recorded them do the task, or you do the playback of your observations. Sometimes, um, people are actually quite incredulous; they 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 don't sort of believe your observations. So, having video is always good because then you can play back that section, and they often sit there and go, "Oh my god, I totally didn't realise I was doing that." Yeah, so that's why I really value observational techniques in being able to gain insight into you know, what's actually happening, what people are actually doing, because there's always a gap between what they say and what they do. You can then discuss those actions in, in order to gain more insight into their actual experience. If you ask them to make something and add that you'd like them to express how they feel about the experience, the underlying feelings will be communicated through the artifact they create. Emotional artifacts can be like drawings, collages and journals. Looking for an emotional connection between yourself and the people you are designing for builds your empathy. It allows you to infuse your design with their desired experience, ensuring that you are designing for desirability, not just usefulness and usability. So we're on page 160, exercise 6.1, discovering emotions. This framework has been adapted from Dr. Sanders' work who's the originator of the say, do, make model. Right, so if you've got the book with you, this is going to make it much easier, but if you don't, that's okay too. All of these worksheets are are made available on thishuman.com, so you can go and download them for free if you don't have the book to be able to use them in your practice. So this is basically, it's got the technique of say, do, make along the top, And it's got the type of insight that you might be able to extract from those techniques in the in the bottom room. So for the techniques, say, so examples might be workshops and focus groups where you're doing a lot of asking questions, getting them to talk about their experience, describing events, perhaps describing desired future events, that sort of thing. That falls into sort of the think and say category and the type of insight you're able to access through that technique is explicit knowledge, so knowledge that they know that they have, learning what people can express in words. Now, this framework is really, really important because we often, we live in a very thinky and say world. So when we're doing our research design, we're, we're biased towards those techniques so uh, it's, it's good to just be thinking about, is my design research diverse enough to be able to access the different types of knowledge that's present within this person that I'm designing with or for, depending on the situation, and, and, yeah, and make sure that your research is balanced. So do, an example of do is contextual inquiry. And most observational research techniques where you're looking at what they do and use, and what you're able to the type of insight that you're able to access through that is observational experience so observing their behavior and seeing things they don't realize they do, and, um, and you know, this the do category is used a lot in human factors research so when you're looking at you know high performance environment situational awareness when you're looking at maybe occupational health and safety issues you're looking to optimize process in a production line or manufacturing line it can have the do bit is really good at being able to observe what people can't report out that they do because they're not consciously doing it but it's also very functional And then the the last one is make. So examples are artefact creation, collages, journals, maps, diagrams, drawing stories. And this is where designing with the people as as much as possible. And what I mean by that is designing with the people that you're um, there to serve with your work. And when I said as much as possible, what I mean is it's not always possible to be able to do that. But when you're engaging in make techniques, this is where If you're able to gain access to the people who are ultimately going to be using the product or service that you're designing is really, really helpful, essential in my view, but not always possible. Right. So the the two things that you can access through using make techniques is tacit knowledge, which is what they know and feel. So gaining insight into their perceptions of their experience and their feelings to build empathy. So stuff they can actually report out on. And then you can also access what they dream about, which is sort of latent needs. Accessing what they dream of provides a future view and hints of latent needs. Tip, we need a combination of approaches to connect with the emotional context of our design. So the, the take home point here is that sometimes in human-centered design, research design in particular, we lean really heavily on, you know, workshops and journey mapping sessions and, you know, empathy mapping and all of the tools that are very, very much in the think and say uh, category because also they tend to be more practical, easy to schedule, easy to understand. You know, you can create a run sheet and share it with the client or the people that are going to be in the, like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that makes that very practical but I encourage you to think about the other two categories around do and make and be conscious about what types of insight you're then able to access that otherwise wouldn't be available to you. All right, well, I'm going to leave it there. That is page 160. We kick off in the next episode on part one, page 161, which is all about empathy. Surprise, surprise. Thank you, as always, for joining me i look forward to seeing you around the this human universe the this human ecosystem remember we've got a a community that's running on mighty networks as well that we're going to become really more not really because i want it to be a slow community but you know more active on this year and go and check that out and i'll be with you again next week i'll talk to you then. thanks